Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. Happy Sunday, everyone. We're finishing up our work in The Prosperous Heart, Julia Cameron's book that we've been using for the last six or seven weeks. I'd like to think that I saved the best for last. What I'm going to share with you today are the two key spiritual principles and the two key spiritual practices that have truly made my life abundant. I think where I want to start, though, is back at the very beginning where Julia Cameron helped us define what prosperity really was. You'll remember the very first week we dispelled some myths about prosperity, that it isn't just a number. It isn't some magic number in your bank account. It isn't some sense of, I don't know, living in the certain kind of house or in the best neighborhood. And, and, and all of those elements, of course, may, may help us psychologically feel blessed, to feel well-appointed in life. But really, it's the feeling and not the stuff. And here, if you'll remember, is how she defined prosperity. She says it's a feeling of sufficiency and security. So it's not a number, it's not a lifestyle, it's not the kind of car you drive, it's not the kind of job that you have, it's not prestige or notoriety or, or fame. Again, those can be elements of it, but it itself is no more and no less than a feeling of sufficiency and security. So how do we go about enhancing our feeling of security and stability? Here's our first spiritual principle. And this one isn't mentioned by name in the book, and yet it runs through it. It's a key principle that we know and love from Ernest Holmes and the Science of Mind, and it's simply the principle of building a mental equivalent. And so let me read this quote of Ernest Holmes from Questions and Answers on the Science of Mind, which he wrote back in 1935. So the question that one of his radio audience at that time had phoned in was, how do our thoughts produce form? How does the divine creative process work? And here's what he said, and I love this definition, really, of this idea of a mental equivalent. He says, if we have a strong picture, a strong mental concept of what we desire and hold to that mental equivalent, regardless of our circumstances or conditions, we will sooner or later manifest according to this concept. In time, through evolution and spiritual law, our concept will come to the moment of birth. It will come to the projection of it into the physical world. And such is the way of nature, such is the law of all creation. He's basically saying that everything that has ever been created and everything that will ever be created is through this idea of a mental equivalent, a concept held in our mind or held in the mind of spirit, which creates all form. Now, how do we go around building a mental equivalent then? Because I think this is key, and it's something that we haven't analyzed or really thought about yet this month. How do we build a mental equivalent 
around sufficiency and security? Well, there are a few ways of doing it. I'm going to lead us in one way. Uh, but actually, we have some choices here. I know some of you out there love to journal. One of the ways would be simply to do some journaling. Or, or for those of you who are more contemplative, to contemplate the ideas of sufficiency and security. What do they mean to you? You could literally write sufficiency on a blank piece of paper and then just start journaling about it. What does security mean to you? What does sufficiency mean to you. And when you think of it uh, blown up large, like if you could be in the most secure and in the most sufficient way of living, what would that be? Don't, don't limit yourself to what you experience today, but blow it up. Make it big. Set it for the grand stage, right? What would ultimate safety, security, and sufficiency feel like? Because that is going to help you to feel prosperous and to build that mental equivalent of what prosperity is, true prosperity, not just a number in a checking account and not just a certain kind of car in the driveway. Another thing that you could do and something that I love to do, and I hope, I hope beyond all hopes we get to do it in this coming year. Usually every year I lead a session of doing vision boards where we can cut out pictures and do some drawing and come up with a board that represents how we would like to live our lives. And so we could do a vision board or a treasure map of what security and sufficiency looks like to you. But today, I think, in our limited amount of time and without magazines and some other things, I'd like to lead you in something a little different, another way of getting at this idea of security and sufficiency. And I'm going to tell you, I did this for myself not long ago. Uh, the idea is to picture a time in your life when you really felt sufficient, really felt secure, really felt as though the world were your oyster, that idea of everything going well. And what occurred to me when I, when I contemplated that for myself was, I think I was about eight years old, and one of my, my favorite relatives, my, my father's mother, Grandma King, my parents were kind of smart parents. Luckily, they, they settled in the town where both sets of grandparents were, right? Now, that actually is pretty smart because often they would get to have parents' night out. And, and often it would be Friday night and I'd stay the whole weekend with one set of grandparents or another. And I can still remember how much I loved staying over at Grandma King's house. Not only was she the better cook of the grandmothers, <laughs> which appealed, of course, to my young self, I always had chores there, and there was something about participating in the family that was fun. I remember I always got to mow the lawn for Grandpa, and, and for Grandma, uh, she still hung the laundry out, and Saturday was her washing day, and so if I stayed over Friday night, I got to help her put out the laundry in the yard on clotheslines and and it made me feel special it made me feel as though I was contributing and giving and then my reward on Sunday after church she would take me for a ride in her Rambler American <laughs> and, and I gotta tell you it was somehow the combination of working hard on Saturday and then having Sunday to to be at church 
and to go for a ride with grandma. And grandpa wasn't allowed to. It made me feel extra special. We would go for a, a ride. This was down in Newport, Oregon. The ride would usually end up at the beach. And it felt so luxurious. I was asked if I could ride in the back seat, right? It was like I was being chauffeured. And sometimes the sun shining in in that car, I'd be asleep in the back seat until we'd get to the beach and she'd open the car and we would just have delightful fun. And I have to tell you, I never felt so secure, so safe, and yes, so rich. Think about it, the, the treat of it, the, the love of it, the, the perfection of it. And so when I'm building a mental equivalent today around my finances, around prosperity, again, I'm not contemplating numbers in my 401k. I'm contemplating how my life is like that, how I am carried through life. Oftentimes today, of course, I, who do I substitute for grandma? It's spirit itself. It is that, that ultimate benefactor, that ultimate giver that allows me to live my life in such graciousness, in such love, in such perfection. And what I know as I build up that mental equivalent of how my life is and how my life will be, it floods to me. Suddenly the 401k takes care of itself. The, the beautiful home is attracted to me. It's not through the acquisition of the stuff that I am blessed. It is through the understanding of my sufficiency. It, it, it's through the understanding that I am always blessed in God's grace, that's what brings the stuff, not the other way around. And so what I'd like to do today, if you're willing, is a little bit of a contemplation of our own as a group. If you're willing, please close your eyes. Just sit comfortably in your chair. And think of a time when you felt so completely supported. A time when when really all of your needs were covered completely. A time when you felt like you were participating in life and where life was likewise participating and supporting you. Now it may be back in childhood when you felt just so loved or supported. It might have been as a teenager, a young person, when you had your first job or were starting out in a family. Each person will have a different time in their life when they felt that love, they felt that support. They felt their heart filled up with the, the goodness of life. But I'd like for a moment to use your, your mind to think back at that time. It might have been yesterday, and that's cool too. And just dwell in the feelings that go with that situation for a moment. Can you feel your heart just full, full of love, full of the knowledge that the universe is on your side? Secure in that sense of having enough and being enough. Now half of building a mental equivalent is the feeling that goes with it. So you're, you're already halfway there. 
just feeling that sense of sufficiency, all is well, I am enough, I have enough. Okay, you can open your eyes now. Now the second part of building this mental equivalent, once we, once we have that in our heart, once our heart is open, it's simply a matter of, of thinking how we might bring that into the present day. Are there things to be done that would help welcome in those feelings again? Are there responsibilities that don't really need to be part of your life anymore? Are there elements where you're feeling constriction? Is there, there are things in your life that you're doing but your heart really isn't in it? Or things, perhaps even, that contradict your own sense of values? These are the kinds of things that stand in the way of that mental equivalent. And it's worth taking your time, again, either in contemplation or through journaling, to see what is preventing that particular feeling of sufficiency. What is preventing that particular sense of enoughness, enough in your life and that you are enough for life, because it works both ways. And so I would invite you, if you're a journaler, this is, you can see I'm already plunging right into homework and we're only halfway through the talk today. Uh, but your homework this week would be to begin building that mental equivalent. And so we know the feeling. I think we captured that pretty well today. What in your life needs to change so that that same sense can be enhanced and, and borne out in your life today? And journaling would be perfect. You know, what in my life today would bring more security? What in my life today would bring that sense of sufficiency? Are there little things I can do? You know, one of the things that I did, and it might sound strange, I, I was meeting with my financial planner anyway, and uh, I was suggesting that maybe I would pay off our home mortgage sooner. And that was one of the things that came to me, that sense of freedom of not having a mortgage anymore. And it was interesting because the financial planner said, well, you know, Larry, actually, you're doing better with some of your other financial instruments. You actually make more money than you're losing in paying interest on your home loan because you got a really good deal on your home loan. And I said, yeah, but it's not just the numbers. It isn't about the number. How will it feel when I don't owe anybody for this house? So I'm making extra house payments. I'm going to get there. You wait. We'll, we'll have a celebration that day. <laughs> Because it's the feeling, it's the sense of security, it's the feeling of freedom. These are what are important. So anyway, that, that's your homework for this week. What is it that you can do to build a heightened sense of that mental equivalent of security and sufficiency? Okay, I need to move on though, or we're not going to get to the, the other principle and the other practice that has, uh, oh my gosh, served me so well over the years. And it's one that often comes up this time of year because it is no more and no less than gratitude. Now, I know it sounds kind of hackneyed to invite people to count their blessings. I, I, I know that seems maybe old-fashioned or something like that. 
But when people ask me why I have been prosperous my entire life, I will tell you it is that I have been keeping a gratitude journal for years and years and years. In fact, this is my first gratitude journal. Guesses onto the date in it? Go ahead. 1870. <laughs> I'll be talking to you later. <laughs> 1977. I have been keeping a nightly gratitude journal since 1977. Now, I started out, oh my gosh, it was almost like some kind of early form of scrapbooking. Every time that I did something for which I was grateful, I tried to collect sort of a memento around it. And so, gosh, I have pictures, this is me on a bicycle at University of Oregon in 1977. It's full of little things that I collected. And then I did quite a bit of writing in it too, specifically. But at that time, I wasn't so much into lots of writing and so I, I collected little memory joggers of what I was grateful for. Lately my journal has been more Spartan. I'm not collecting stuff anymore and I've really boiled it down to just a nightly gratitude journal where I just write down five things for which I am grateful that happened that day. And here's a little secret. I also write five things that I intend to feel grateful for the following day. Now you might say, well, wait a minute, isn't that cheating? <laughs> I don't know, can you cheat yourself? Can you cheat your mental equivalent? Because in a way, that's what I'm doing. When I write down my future gratitude, what am I doing? I'm tweaking my mental equivalent I'm telling myself, and this is what I'm going to be grateful for tomorrow or in the future. I'm building on that idea of sufficiency. Today was completely sufficient, and here I'm adding to it a little bit tomorrow. My gratitude has done more for me than any financial planner has ever done. My gratitude has done more for me, I think, than anything else around making my life abundant. And it simply gets down to that spiritual principle that that for which we are grateful for will increase. It's where we're focusing our attention. It's where we're focusing our energy. It's what we're willing to receive because we've received it before, and it's heightened in us because we notice the gratitude. The other piece of it, uh, again, back to week number one, when I described the prosperous heart, the other shortcut to that is just an open heart. And when we are open-hearted, we are naturally grateful, and when we are grateful, our heart naturally opens. I tell you, I do not think that you can hold hostilities or anger or grudges or any of the things that would close your heart. Just try to do that and be grateful at the same time. I do not think it's possible. I absolutely do not think it's possible. Next time you're angry about something, next time you're holding a resentment, next time there's something going on that's frustrating or not to your taste, I double dog dare you to just look around and notice something to be grateful for 
and those negative emotions and feelings will simply fade away. The open heart is ready to receive, not to spew, not to, not to get even, not to be angry. The open heart is, is loving. The open heart is, is in the position of giving and receiving blessings. And it will simply not be possible for you to live in resentment or pain or anger. I got to tell you, in many ways my life is blessed, but I don't think that God is somehow singling me out for an unfair positive treatment. I'd like to think that some days, right? Wouldn't you like to figure that you were special in that way? But it's an investment you have to make in yourself. And it doesn't even necessarily need to take away from the specialness because it's a specialness that you bestow on yourself. You are worth having the good life. And if you make an investment in yourself into gratitude and into a good mental equivalent of how your life should be, that's actually the only investment you need to make but it is perhaps the most significant ones that I can think of. When you make that investment in a mental equivalent, of course, today we were doing it for the idea of prosperity. For today, we were doing it for that idea of sufficiency and that idea of security. But you can do it around love. You can do it around a relationship. You can do it around a successful career. You can do it around a beautiful home or apartment. The idea of the mental equivalent is perhaps the most powerful tool you have for manifesting anything in your life that you want. And it only just takes a little bit of effort Again, if you wanted to build in a spiritual practice, not only of a gratitude journal, but if you wanted to build in a practice of enhancing your mental equivalent, that would be my second recommendation for a spiritual practice. Yes, do the gratitude journal. Start it tonight if you don't already do one. If you already do one, add the future gratitude to it. That's where I'd start number one. You don't have to spend any more than maybe five minutes a night. It can sit on your bedside table. It's the easiest thing you can do. Such a low commitment of five or ten minutes a night. It will change your life. And then the other thing I would suggest, which does take a little more time, is at least once or twice a week, work on a mental equivalent of something that will enhance your life, bringing more love into your life. What's a mental equivalent around love? Bringing more prosperity into your life. What is a mental equivalent like we explored in our contemplation today for sufficiency and for safety and security? It's easy to do. It's a small investment in your life. And oh my gosh, the riches you will feel. Well, I want to close today from a final quote from the, this lovely book that we have. In fact, it's the last paragraph in the book, and I'll also close with a prayer. She says, Having a prosperous heart should be a daily endeavor. We must begin anew every day, consciously, stubbornly, always choosing faith. Faith. 
No matter what our circumstances are, there is help available to us. We are not alone. We will receive divine guidance when we ask for it. That still small voice will always speak when we listen to it. I look out the window today at the delicate birds on my bird feeder. A hummingbird hovers so close that I feel I could almost touch it. I am entranced by its tiny body, its steadiness, its strength. It seems to say, I am prosperity. Let us not ignore the gifts that are given to us every day. Let us pray. There is one power, one presence, one life. This one thing is everything. Every person, every place, everything, all the good in the universe is part of this one thing, part of God, part of spirit. And I internalize that to also mean me. The prosperous universe is my prosperous universe. The loving universe is my loving universe. All good things are also my good things. And I recognize that I take steps in the direction of my good. I understand that I must fully participate in this universe of possibility. But I also am secure in knowing that it is God's good grace to make my life the good life. And I am also secure in knowing that the infinity of good is here for me to have and to use. And as it is true for me, I know without question it's true for everyone. Each of us, each of us is centered in this idea of spirit. And as we build up our mental equivalence of the good life, as we use gratitude and the other tools we've been using these last six weeks, I know, I know that the good life is for us now. And in gratitude, I release this prayer into the activity and action of the law itself. I let it be. And together we say, and so it is. Thank you so much for being with us today. What a pleasure to have you here in person and online. And now is our time of conscious giving. And, and I would like to just mention something. Those of you who attended our town hall meeting last week, I know we learned that throughout 2021, our giving has been down about 20%. And so it is my great honor to simply to simply ask that you contemplate what CSL, what Portland Center for Spiritual Living, means to you. I do uh, get a joke that I want to share with you with regards to giving. So an elderly gentleman sold pretzels on a street corner for 50 cents each. Every day, a young businesswoman would exit her office at lunch, and as she passed the pretzel stand, she'd leave two quarters. But she never took a pretzel. This went on for nearly five years, even though they never spoke. Every day she'd leave 50 cents, they'd make eye contact. The old fellow would nod his gratitude as she walked away without a pretzel. Finally one day, as the businesswoman passed his stand and laid down the two quarters, the pretzel man flagged her down to speak. Madam, I appreciate your business. Honestly, I am most grateful. But you do need to know something. The price of pretzels has gone up to 75 cents. <laughs> and so, um, so the price of pretzels has gone up to 75 cents. And, uh, and I know it's in your heart to make sure that we are adequately funded for this coming year. 
So if you'd like, take your gift in your hand. I know some of you are going online to cslportland.org slash donate. If you'd like, you can repeat after me. Graciously, I give from a place of love, knowing that as I give, so do I richly receive. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. every Sunday. We also have many programs, classes, and workshops developed just for our online audience. To find out more, go to our website at cslportland.org and look under the Online tab. We have a variety of content dedicated specifically for our podcast listeners. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at cslportland.org slash donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended spiritual community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.